everyone, you're listening to Audiobookish, an audiobook review podcast. My name's Fahed Rahman. I'm here with Poppy Knight. Hello. And today we're going to be covering The Carpet People by Terry Pratchett. Before we get onto that, uh, Poppy's got some exciting news. I do, yes. So if you've listened to previous podcast episodes, you'll know that myself as well as Fahed um, I'm wanting to get into the publishing industry and I'm really, really pleased to announce that I have a job in the publishing industry. I'm working as an audiobook publishing assistant. So that's right. It's not just publishing. It's also audiobooks um, for Belinda, who publish great audiobooks. And they're also the team behind BorrowBox, where you can listen to audiobooks and also borrow ebooks through libraries. So yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, at the time of recording, I've been there two weeks and it's going really, really well, and I really like it. And I want to encourage anyone who is searching to get into the publishing industry to genuinely sign up for agencies is what has got me this job. Um, I used Inspired Selection, and they were amazing, so I fully recommend them, certainly you know, UK-based. People looking to get into publishing, they were fantastic, but I'm sure other agencies are equally great, and yet it really, really helps with the tough... Oh, just endless applications and things like that is just made so much easier through that. So that will be my one bit of advice. And yeah, really excited about it. Um, so yeah, yeah, I was really pleased when I heard Aww. that Poppy had got a, a job in publishing. It's been, I think, kind of a tough year for everyone. So it's just, mm. it was really just, it was just good news to to see someone um, that's worked really hard towards uh, getting a job in publishing actually. Achieving it, we're both part of the Publishing Hopefuls Facebook group. That's kind of mm-hmm. where we met. And, yeah. you know, there's so many talented people of all ages looking to get a job mm-hmm. in publishing, and it's really difficult. Uh, yeah. But for Poppy, it's really well deserved as oh. well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, so let's uh, let's get back to <laughs> reviewing the book. So the book that we're reviewing today is The Carpet People by Terry Pratchett. Mm-hmm. This is the 50th anniversary release. I'll just read out the blurb from Amazon. In the beginning, there was nothing but endless flatness. Then came the carpet. The old story everyone knows and loves, but now the carpet is home to many different tribes and peoples, and there is a new story in the making. The story of Frey sweeping a trail of destruction across the carpet. The story of power-hungry mules and of two Mongrong brothers who set out an amazing adventure. It's a story that will come to a terrible end if someone doesn't do something about it. If everyone doesn't do something about it. Co-written by Terry Pratchett, age 17, and master storyteller Terry Pratchett, aged 43. And uh, Poppy, do you want to read out the bio for Terry? Yeah, so Sir Terry Pratchett was the acclaimed creator of the global best-selling Discworld series, the first of which, The Colour of Magic, was published in 1983. In all... He was the author of 50 best-selling books. His novels have been widely adapted for stage and screen, and he was the winner of multiple prizes, including the Carnegie Medal, as well as being awarded a knighthood for services to literature. Worldwide sales of his books now stand at 70 million, and they have been translated into 37 languages. Sir Terry Pratchett died on 12th of March, 2015. Yeah, that last line still makes me feel so sad. Like yeah. uh, Pratchett's death hit me mm-hmm. quite hard. Um <laughs> He was one of my favorite authors, if not my favorite yeah. author. So it's it's still really hard. Just uh, you know, the fact that he's that he's gone. This mm-hmm. uh, this fiftieth edition audiobook was narrated by Doctor Who himself, David Tennant. And from what I understand, David Tennant was 
Terry Pratchett's favorite Doctor Who. So I think there's, you know, there's a lot going on then there, kind of like emotionally speaking. So mm-hmm. let's just go through the like the basic plot of the book really quickly because it's quite it is a straightforward enough story. So we've got Glurk and Snibral, who are a part of a tribe called the Mungrungs, who are a part of a larger empire belonging to a people called the Dumai. And what essentially happens is that their village is destroyed and then they have to go on this adventure where they need to save their people from the fray and find safety. And they encounter a bunch of characters like Brocando and Bane, who are part of the Dumai and the Defmini tribes. And they come into uh, encounter a bunch of other people and creatures mm-hmm. within the carpet. So, I mean, it's a fairly, it's not like the most complex plot and we don't need to kind of review the plot in detail mm-hmm. but you know it's, it's a fairly standard straightforward adventure tale and it is kind of you know in the you know much of the review literature that i've read uh, it is kind of aimed at quite young people as well i think they, they do mention kind of seven years old and upwards so it's it's not one of practice more complicated works either yeah that's probably fair and yeah again going with like you say, the reviews and stuff, a lot of them pointing out that, so this was Terry's first book, kind of that bit that you mentioned in the blurb about co-written by his younger self and his older self. Um, that yeah, and a lot of people saying that you can sort of tell that. I'll be honest, I have some big issues with this book. Um, yeah. And there are some definite, you know, pratchety elements in there, but it's not kind of, his finest glowing work kind of thing. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. That said, this is a book that I've, I think, read at least three times, and this is the second audiobook version right. I've mm-hmm. listened to. So there is, even though I know it's not his most polished work, there's something about it that does draw me into for rereadings. And I don't know why that is because I, I it's, um, it's kind of, borrow that mark commodism it's not without faults there the, mm-hmm. there are lots of things in the in the book where you can kind of see the joins between terry pratchett the senior and terry pratchett the junior and it's not always a smooth stitch you can kind of see the joins there as well mm-hmm. yeah so you had a few issues with the book should we kind of like dig into those uh straight away then <sighs> yeah probably so i don't know quite which order to tackle it in kind of the first things that kind of came up with me were these issues of tribe and empire and civilization and uncivilized and scientific thinking versus big air quotes here backwards thinking and a lot of that sat very uneasily with me um as kind of Terry giving a very fixed worldview and not particularly being very accepting of other worldviews, which is rather interesting when you look at a lot of Pico's synopsis of it and you can kind of tell with, with the message of it that there's there's something there about respecting other people's cultures. And yet I did not get that from the actual book. I got more of a... Um, people are better off in an empire um 
kind of vibe, even though it criticizes aspects of an empire, it did a lot of praising it. And yeah, like I say, a lot of thinking that certain groups were forward thinking and certain groups were backwards. And that sat uneasy with me as maybe the first point of issue. <laughs> yeah, I think there's... There... I think that's definitely a, something that I, this, upon listening to this version mm. of the audiobook, definitely resonated with me as well. There's particularly mm. there's a discussion towards the end of the book where the various different factions are arguing about whose way of life is better. And one of the arguments sort of put forward by one of the characters is that, well, your way of life is only being made possible mm, yeah. by the existence of the empire. And that is kind of like, uh, uh, mm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure that's the best the best argument you can kind of put forward there, yeah. Terry. I don't know. I'm not too sure about that one. Yeah. And I think it's important to note here that we're both extremely big Terry Fratchett fans yeah. um, and we're not saying these things to besmirch his character. We're not, you know... We're not trying to cancel culture. Exactly. We're not trying to exactly. Do that. <laughs> right? We're not. We're just highlighting that this is a person raised in an education system decades ago <laughs> on very British, again on your air quotes, teachings and things that I think he, he does have a more open mind than he puts down in this book. I mean, definitely. I mean, one of my favourite books by him was Jingo, which was a, mm-hmm. you know, a scathing criticism of you know military imperialism mm-hmm. and you know expansionism and and all those sorts of things. So it was a little bit surprising to me that those yeah. arguments turned up. Yeah, in this book, it was for me as well. I felt disappointed and sad because, yeah, I think. One of the reasons why Terry Pratchett is so great is because of bits of wisdom that really call to kindness and fairness. And, you know, even though obviously there's the the funny critiques he makes about those being made up and stuff, but still, you get what I mean, about just being good to each other and various things like that and ways of criticising, yeah, stuff like this that then does make it disappointing when you seem to have counteractive stuff in this book. Yeah, I think kind of another thing that I suppose needs to be said is that, you know, this was written by him when he was 17 years old. So it, it does kind of make me wonder how much of the book he could have changed at aged 43 without, it, so that's, that's the yeah. other thing that's in the kind of like the, you know, the, the, the back of my head is it's maybe it's one of those things well maybe he disagreed with the sentiments he had at 17 years old but it's kind of yeah how how much do you change the work yeah without changing it completely into something new as well so I'm, yeah that's the other thing totally yeah I mean I, tr- I tried to have a bit of a look if anyone had done a, a full analysis of the two different versions and things that was easy to access and I didn't manage to find it but yeah I would be intrigued by that because yeah, it's interesting to know what did he think needed changing as to why it needed, you know, this uh, revision and therefore why some of it wasn't changed. Um, yeah, it would be interesting. And one of the main things in that, another massive issue, and I'll be honest, the one that made me the most 
angry at times, I'll be honest, and sad and disappointed in it, was is ho- horrible. I'll I'll be honest. I'm not saying he's a horrible person, but I'm saying these things are horrible ways of talking about people with disabilities and with limb difference. And so some of it is kind of the thing that I mentioned back in our Mermaid of Black Conch um, thing that's just sort of a bit of an oversight. So, like, um, there was a joke about um, the, you know, the military phrase, two arms, and someone's like, well, we've all got two arms. And it's just a bit like, oh, you know, like, think about it before before you say that. But it got got a lot worse. Um, So... Actually, before that, there was something about um, this other creature and them being really smart. And it was something like, um, it's sad to have a brain and not have the arms to do things with it. Well, okay, that's not all right. There was then a group of people who uh, were in battles and lost limbs from it. And there was a comment that when there were many of them in the room, there were only enough limbs and eyes and things for four whole people air quotes again which is disgusting because people with missing limbs people with limb difference are whole people there was then unnecessary comments about them running into a place and then well hopped also not okay so many things like that even worse then later he then calls them irregulars yeah that one kind of oh my god i'm I'm, yeah i've kind of that when someone's trying to make a joke, I kind of, I give them a lot of leeway, but that irregulars thing kind of, even for me, I've, I was a like, uh, poor choice of word there. Yeah, Terry, it, yeah. Part of it is choice of words. Part of it was sentence level stuff. And yeah. that's partly why I was so disappointed those changes weren't made in the revision, you know, because they're here in, in our version. But some of it is, you know, this very steeped in tradition things of othering and stuff like that and I think that's the main thing that came away from this both with all those comments and with the stuff we're talking about about empire and stuff like that it's this idea of what is normal and what is not and in this book you know maybe not in his life in this book he has a very fixed idea of what is normal and what is not normal and his insistence on that then alienates a lot of people and yeah I think one of the things that's important like you were saying about it being aimed at children is that it's telling children that this kind of stuff is okay that these kind of viewpoints are okay that it's okay to consider these people as not normal and to make them the butt of jokes and I'm totally with you about humor and jokes and yeah there is definitely a space for them. I'm not going to gatekeep what can be joked about and what can't be joked about. But it's he, he makes the point himself. He talks about satire being about um, criticising and ridiculing the people above. Um, and if you're criticising and ridiculing the people who are hurting, you're not doing satire, you're doing bullying. You know, that's one of his famous quotes that I really love. And I'll be honest, in this one, there was a lot of bullying. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think just to defend him a little bit to be fair the that you know, we're referring to you know the people that are missing limbs are sergeants they're ex-military people that are now working as cooks in the imperial kitchen and they do act as as heroes in the book so it's not like they've they've been given I don't know, like subservient well, they, well, they are servants. heroes but yeah. they're yeah. heroes in 
a separate group assisting. He even yeah. makes the point again later about when the women come in and the women are like, uh, we didn't assist, we took part. It's yeah. that idea they're still seen as someone separate. You know, yeah. that, whole, that horrible world that was used to describe them as a group, equally, they was described as a separate group. Yeah. Not yeah. some of the people that were there. I'm sure a lot of the um, Munrungs and the uh, Deaf Many were cooks and yeah. were people in the army. They weren't separated into those groups. That, and it was just, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. think I've kind of said yeah. most of my opinion. I, I'm not, to reiterate, I'm not cancelling him. I'm not saying he was a horrible ableist. I'm not saying he was a horrible racist. I'm not saying he was a horrible imperialist. I'm not putting these labels on him. I'm saying this is a very problematic text and that I couldn't in all consciousness recommend it actively and certainly not for you to give to your children for them to then pick up things without it being challenged that those viewpoints aren't okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that well that's that's absolutely fair enough. I think it's it's kind of quite interesting you say about, you know, othering people because that's something that Pratchett in his other, especially in the Disc World books, mm -hmm. that is something he's really good at challenging. Mm. Really, uh, you know, especially yeah. with I'm, I'm thinking especially about the the Watch books, where mm -hmm. kind of like it doesn't matter what race, sex, mm -hmm. size. Once you're in the Watch, you're a Watchman, and that's all that kind of matters. So it was a little bit strange seeing some of those things mm -hmm. uh, pop up in here, and. Yeah, so I think I think that's fair. And just, I mean, for me, that the most surprising thing was was the stuff about empire. So I think yeah. maybe we've got slightly, you know, different sensitivities to for things. So that for me, the stuff about you know how empire and things of that nature are ultimately be beneficial to society. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of you know I don't know that that kind of struck a, a quite a negative called yeah. with me uh, yeah, um, because you know empire is ultimately built through suppression and mm -hmm. bloodshed and abuse and you know i think towards the end of the book you know they say we can build uh, a better empire that's fairer and more just and more democratic but you know it's yeah yeah anyway yeah it's not yeah. it's not regretful about what's been is it it is sort of saying okay yeah well it's not going to be an empire anymore it's going to be somewhere else and we're going to have different nations and there's kind of a uh, an irk towards it but it's not it, it doesn't in any way say that it things that have gone before have not been good and i thought the most ridiculous one was when it was saying that um the empire was made for peace <laughs> to stop people fighting all the time it's like um, <laughs> doing that by going and yeah, as you say, oppressing, being violent, making yeah. more wars. I really don't think that tracks. Yeah, yeah, I think there's uh, a slight, yeah, disjoint. Yeah, it's just, it didn't really join up for me, mm. unfortunately. Let's talk about some of the positive aspects yes. of the books. I think I really liked a lot of the characters mm. in here. You, I think you could kind of see where Terry Pratchett punched up some of the dialogue, I think. But I really enjoyed both Glurk and Snibrel. Yeah. I think Pismar, I think he, for me, out of all the characters in here, I think you could kind of tell he's the one that's probably been updated the most. I think there's a lot of mod, um, older Terry Pratchett's thoughts are kind of expressed through Pismar. I think Bane is kind of a really prototypical, um, maybe like version one Sam Vimes okay. sort of thing going on 
with him as well. So, and then, you know, there, there are other kind of various characters mm-hmm. um, mentioned in there. Who was, who was your favorite character out of, out of that? Um, it's an interesting one. Um, I did quite like um, Clerk. Yeah. It was quite good. Um, yeah. I think of my, like, Terry Pratchett is, he's a brilliant writer. My, I think my favorite description of any character in the book is of Glurk, where he describes Glurk as not necessarily stupid. He's just like slow thinking. He'll kind of, he'll get to the right conclusion in the end. He'll just take the long way around. And I just thought that <laughs> there, you know, there are funny sentences and descriptions of people like that throughout, throughout the book. So mm-hmm. you expect Glurk, I mean, Glurk does act in the way that you, expect in a lot of situations but he does also show kind of like surprising bits of intelligence and kind of where his skill as a hunter comes in to to help save the party kind of later on as well yeah a proper hero you know with saving them and stuff and then also has you know funny jokes about he wants to have his breakfast first you know kind of i guess lord of the ringsy hobbity throwback kind of thing so for fans that like fantasy stuff because they like things like that there's a kind of a nice overlap there with with who he is yeah and so i was kind of reading around what other people thought of the book and kind of what themes they felt came up and from like wikipedia what they said the book explores the conflict between traditions and innovation and it says there's an established civilization complete with bureaucrats and there is another group that is more a little bit more chaotic and it's kind of about both groups trying to find their common ground to save their collective civilization i'm not too sure i got that much in there from this i'm not too sure what what you what you'd think about Mm. that description yeah i don't know because i mean i didn't like it from the issues that i brought up but i also didn't think that the story was massively strong enough yeah I mean, it's really straightforward kind of like story, you know. It's an yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a standard adventure story. Yeah, but it's like even so, there didn't seem to be a whole lot of, oh, uh, I don't know, grip and drive. And yeah, it was sort of a the different cities are under attack is kind of the thing. And yeah, my issue with that description, I guess, is that it's this idea of you know the different tribes coming together, and as we've discussed, the issues around that and what that's promoting. Um, I think what I wish had been the <laughs> like the overall thing of it rather than that was this idea of like the carpet as a world and this is one of the reasons why I really like Discworld that idea of a a completely different place but that's sort of a parallel to our own world but then even more so with the carpet because it can exist in our own world you know you're talking about like the Highgate lands and the um the skirting boards and stuff like that it's this and, and you the know, table leg yeah, yeah yeah and like kind of borrowersy esque stuff it is both a metaphor for our world and also something within it and I really liked that and I really liked that in the beginning of it but yeah I didn't think it was as much of a feature as I wanted it to be it sort of then went to the background a little bit yes I think that flat world is something that Terry's explored a few times so he's Mm -hmm. explored it obviously in Discworld he also wrote a standalone novel called strata that i read ages and ages ago and i remember a flat world featuring in that and then i think also he's a little bit obsessed with tiny people i don't know if you've read (laughs) the kind of like the gnome trilogy and kind of there's lots of like tiny (laughs) tiny little people in the disc world novels as well so i think those are two motifs that he kind of reverts back to 
time mm. and time again. So, yeah. Yeah, you can see that this is sort of, I guess, the seed for that with it being his first novel and things like that. But yeah, and so I'm glad that he pursued that <laughs> and kept doing more of those, yeah, other world, flat earth kind of metaphors and worlds, yeah. Yeah, I was reading an interview with Terry uh, in preparation for recording this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously getting a novel published when you're uh, 17 years old is pretty impressive, I think. Um, and he was thinking about writing a sequel and one of his friends kind of talked him out of it because they said, right. oh, sequels don't sell particularly mm-hmm. well. So I think that's kind of, I think that's one of those things. Well, what would have happened to this carpet world if it'd been a little bit more developed Uh, instead he kind of went off and developed Discworld instead so it's kind of one of those you know sliding doors moments Mm. yeah I think so and I think it's one that I I wouldn't have wanted to have not listened to slash read because I am such a big Pratchett fan it would have been weird to have not (laughs) you know Uh, I think it is one of those kind of like I guess yeah bucket list items and yeah seeing where some of the stuff comes from you know he he does do a really good job of like yeah all these parallels between worlds and the different names for stuff and the the witty critique of stuff that I think is really good. Someone on a review also mentioned about how like explaining adult concepts in a like accessible kid-friendly way, which I think is good, certainly for children's books like this one, but then equally just for adult books. It's nice when we have a nice simple metaphor for something that can either make it make sense or just make us laugh at the ridiculousness of it, which is something that he does do really well. And yeah, it's nice to see where that came from. But yeah, you can see that He's improved on that with the later ones. It's kind of when people ask me, oh, where you should start reading like a Discworld book from, I would never recommend them start off with like The Color of Magic because that's kind of, you can still see that The Color of Magic, as good a book as it is, is still kind of really rough in terms he hasn't really developed his voice. And you can kind of, even though it was rewritten when he was 43 years old, Mm -hmm. you can still kind of see that he's developing his skills as a storyteller. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think... Unless you're a must, you know, diehard kind of must complete reading all his stuff, mm-hmm. Pratchett fan, I think you could probably skip this. I think there's not a lot of, uh, it's not his best work. We can, yeah. let's, let's put it that way. Yeah. And certainly not, as you say, not the one that we're going to recommend that newbies start with. And yeah, like I said, with issues of, you know, impressionableness and not recommending that kids are starting with it and stuff like that. But yeah, and I do think if you, do decide you're wanting to like you say maybe not wanting it out of your um off your bucket list or uh curious about you know anything you've heard about it or whatever i think we do have to say that david Tennant's narration of this one is the highlight of the book i feel i'm sorry if you're listening david it didn't massively blow me away yeah but it was very very good kind of my first note on here was that it's cozy you know he makes the book sound cozy and you kind of want to snuggle down and listen to it I think you know obviously as the acclaimed actor that he is is very good at telling you a story you know and all the emphasis and stuff that comes with that a good amount of accents and voice differentiation I was grateful that the way I encountered this book was having him tell me it rather than I guess me reading it dry I really enjoyed David's performance as Mm -hmm. the narrator I think he did a really good job I think when we previously talked about our kind of favorite audiobooks you're kind of you're looking for the narrator to kind of lift 
and elevate mm. the text. Yeah. And I think that's probably quite a tough ask with this particular book for someone mm. to do that. I would say that out of the two versions of the audiobooks that I've listened okay. to, I would prefer the one that I listened to previously, which was narrated by Richard Mitchelly. There's kind of quite a few different versions of audiobooks of this particular uh, novel out there. So the one that I liked was Richard Mitchley's one. And the reason why I liked that was, so what he did with the Deaf Manis, he kind of made them all Mediterranean and Italian soundings. And it just kind of, it made their kind of passionate way of looking at the world and their kind of like chaotic um, belligerence towards authority make a little bit more sense is kind of like yeah we don't we don't bother with all this government stuff we're too busy kind of like living a lush mediterranean kind of like lifestyle is kind of the effect of his accents had on the narration and i felt it just brought a little bit more richness towards that particular tribe i also kind of preferred some of the voices he did for some of the characters mm -hmm. as well i think david as beautiful as his voice is i think he made some quite obvious choices mm -hmm. in terms of how certain characters sounded like and he's also i found it kind of quite interesting how his scottish accent affected the sense of place i felt that the world was taking in mm. uh in terms of, i felt it was like the carpet was a slightly colder world in some sense of just kind of like thinking about uh, it feels like a little bit more like a highland tale rather than when i was listening to Mitchley's performance you got kind of a better idea of this carpet being this vast place where there's like different tribes and they've got different cultures and different accents and things of that nature this felt kind of very much like oh it's a I don't want to say a white world but it's kind of like a white fantasy um western story if that makes sense I get what you mean I think yeah it is very all the accents so he does do different accents but they're all UK accents Yes, you know, and it does. I'll agree with you. It makes you think that it is a small place rather than a world. I guess in part, like it's already difficult enough with things like this when there's any sort of like size disparity. It's always difficult to conceptualize, isn't it? You know, yeah. the idea here is that there's people who are so small that they live in the carpet and you've got absolutely no idea that they're there. And there's kind of confusion sometimes about like how tall are the hairs of the carpet meant to be, <laughs> you know, and like how does all that stuff relate to each other? But yeah, I think then when you're looking at it bigger, I guess I did get more of a sense the carpet was, I guess, like the UK size, you know, as in a, in relation to the people maybe, rather than thinking of it as, an entire world even though some of the text was trying to get me to do that and yeah maybe accent was part of that reason and maybe if I'd listened to that other one like you said it would have a more full world reach sort of concept in my brain yeah I mean just the name like Brocando that does sound like, to me slightly maybe Spanish or Italian something something like yeah, that, that so that yeah, have, does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, as well so I think you know, David's performance is absolutely beautiful. It's mm -hmm. it's it's fine. I just preferred Richard Mitchley's performance. So if you're going to get this on audio, but I would probably like for me personally, I'd probably recommend that one. You kind of mentioned briefly there how things scale up, and mm. one thread I came across on Reddit about the book was kind of like, how do days work in the carpet? Because like there's no like sunrise and sunset and things like that, and he just it does make you think. But it's kind of like, I think when you're going into a book like this, you do kind of 
have to switch that little bit of your brain off and just go right suspension of disbelief yeah just go all in there as well yeah no definitely and I think it's yeah it's kind of weird thinking like I was saying just about the threads of the carpet and I mean illustration obviously really affects it kind of like I was imagining a really fluffy carpet and then I was like no wait a minute you need to think of like a just normal bog standard carpet and really zoom in on that and all that and I mean I'm sat here in a house with like no carpets so (laughs) um yeah it's a weird thing to sort of try and get that sense and yeah I think there are certainly some things where you just kind of have to you have to ignore it but it's also a thing to note that it does jar readers and listeners when there does feel like there's some discrepancies with like oh wait a minute how big are those things meant to be and stuff like you get in all sorts of epics and travel things of how long does this journey actually take (laughs) and how come these people end up at this point at the same time as the other people and (laughs) and those kind of things but that's not something particular to terry or to this book that (laughs) anything with a long journey in it there's the potential for that issue (laughs) yeah i think exactly i agree with that completely i don't really have anything much more to say about this i think like despite the criticisms that like, the book's okay i guess and david's narration is good um mm-hmm. but i think this is out of all the books that we've reviewed so far i think this is probably the most negative yeah but we've and yeah you know, i don't really enjoy saying that because i'm a big fan of terry pratchett you know he was a Same. really important part of my uh life kind of like my child so i i i needed help learning how to read how to get kind of Mm -hmm. taken out of uh, my classroom and i was given um, a special reading tutor and the first two books i remember kind of reading by myself were J.R.R. tolkien's the hobbit and then guards guards oh and i remember kind of like staying up late at night with like a torch underneath my duvet reading reading those two books by myself mm-hmm. and it was a really proud achievement for me to get through those two books by myself without any assistance like I don't like criticizing to practice yeah. work but it's you know if there's stuff that doesn't work you have to you have to call it out as you see it yeah oh totally I totally agree and yeah I think my overwhelming feeling on a personal note was disappointment because yeah, yeah for different reasons but Terry Pratchett is also a really big part of my life my reading journey you know the reason I've got this job that I'm super excited about that why I've you know fallen in love with stories and wanted to be part of creating them and getting them out there to people is because of him you know I've I'm staring at a load of Discworld books now I have um pages from a Discworld calendar stuck up on my wall at the moment just behind me yeah I'm love Pratchett stuff and I think there's so much that makes him a great person but that doesn't mean that yeah I think I think people are on a very binary stances on things at the moment of people are either good or people are bad and if there's anything that we've been learning from you know recent books that we've been reviewing and stuff it's that we need to dismantle that idea yeah <laughs> um, of good and bad and kind of criticize things as they come and commend things as they come and yeah I think like you're saying about needing to call things out one of the main ones with this like I have said is with it being a kid's book as well as just anybody but at the most impressionable ages you don't want people growing up thinking things that are going to mean that they treat other people like less than people Again, I'm pretty sure it's another Pratchett quote of the idea of that's what sin is. It's treating people as objects. 
um, and not seeing I mean, them as people. It's, it's something even he mentions in this book is that you know every people calls themselves the true people, yeah. and it's just mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, anyway, fine. That's Whatever. exactly. I think he had good intentions with this book, but then didn't have whether it was the writing skill and or the emotional maturity and or the world experience or whatever it is to make this book what it could have been. Yeah, I think with a a sensitivity reader or, Mm. you know, an editor that's kind of more chimed in. And we have to realise that, you know, this was a book kind of written quite a long time ago in any case, whether it was 17 or, you know, when he was um, 43. But, you know, maybe that language around inclusivity and you know those sort of things weren't necessarily in place with his editors though i don't you know that there have been kind of questions about editors working today how chimed Mm -hmm. in they are to those things (laughs) in any case so yeah yeah no for sure and you know all of this stuff we're not saying as excuses again on that kind of like binary where we're flipping over to good or bad it's this thing of yeah like you say calling stuff out and yeah the kind of i guess reiterating what I was saying if you're wanting to listen to or read this book because it's Pratchett and you want to consume everything Pratchett I would totally understand that and I think that's fair and I guess just taking what we've been talking about and consider it for yourself and form your own opinions on it and if you're not that bothered then I suggest you go spend some time watching the Paralympics instead and supporting (laughs) those athletes and viewing them as the people that they are um and yeah spend your time doing that instead rather than (laughs) listening to this yeah I I would probably agree with that unless you're a proper diehard Pratchett fan you're not really missing out on that much not reading the book or listening to the Yorkdale book. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, there's that. Um, yeah, okay. Um, and read other Patrick things as well. Yeah, do re- I think we should definitely cover another Pratchett audio book at, yes, at some point in the, in the future because he is, you know, he was one of Britain's greatest ever writers mm-hmm. and it would be nice to review something of his that we actually enjoyed. Yeah. <laughs> enjoyed uh, listening to. So yeah. Yeah, we definitely will do. I can definitely see that coming. Okay, cool. So yeah. Right. So I I'm not too sure what book we're doing next. I think the plan is A Slow Fire Burning. So if we get we're waiting on an audio copy of A Slow Fire Burning from Penguin Random House. Um if we don't get that, we'll do something else instead. But yeah, keep your uh, eyes open on your our social media feed. Please review the episode on whichever app you're listening to on it really helps people discover it and follow us on social media at audiobookish pod if you've got any recommendations or comments please email us at uh, audiobookishpod at gmail.com any final words poppy Uh, no i think uh, i think that's good thank you for listening guys Um, and we'll see you next time yeah see you next time thanks bye bye